Ahoy hoy, Talking Simpsons listeners. Do not skip this important message because Talking Simpsons is going on tour. Isn't that right, Henry? That's right. We are finally doing our first live shows outside of the Bay Area. And it's all happening in Portland on October 20th, 2018. That is a Saturday. We'll be performing at Kelly's Olympian at 2 o'clock p.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. And we have a very special guest for our 5 o'clock p.m. show. Henry, spill the beans. It's Bill Oakley. Yes, food reviewer slash co executive producer of The Simpsons slash co-showrunner of season seven and eight, Bill Oakley, will be doing a live show with us at 5 p.m. at Kelly's Olympian in Portland. And at both of these shows, we'll be going over our favorite Treehouse of Horror segments with live video clips. And again, at the 5 o'clock p.m. show, Bill Oakley will be there. And to get tickets, go to tinyurl.com slash Halloween. And it is very important that you get tickets if you want to go because we've heard from the venue they are going super fast, especially the 5 p.m. Bill Oakley show. Tinyurl.com slash Talking Simpsons Halloween. We'll give you all the extra details of location, place, time, all that for our 2 p.m. and the 5 p.m. show that will be with Bill Oakley. Yes, you can find all the details to buy the tickets ahead of time at tinyurl.com slash Talking Simpsons Halloween for the details on our 2 p.m. show and our 5 p.m. show. Don't risk it by buying tickets at the venue. Both for the 2 p.m. show and the 5 p.m. show with Bill Oakley, the tickets are going fast. And that is not all. A week later on Saturday, October 27th, 2018, we'll be doing a show at our local haunt, Piano Fight in San Francisco, and admission for that one is free. Ooh, it's all gonna be a big scary Simpsony time at all those shows as we celebrate the best segments in Treehouse of Horror history. We hope to see you there, boils and ghouls alike. This week's Talking Simpsons is brought to you by Verve. Do you like streaming classic cartoons like Doug? Anime like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Dragon Ball Super? Original cartoons like Bee and Puppycat? Even classics like Freakazoid that you won't find anywhere else? Those are all being carried by Verve. And you can get a 30-day free trial of service on Talking Simpsons if you just head to vrv.co slash WAC. Check it out. endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons, brought to you by Corpse Handling Gloves. I'm your host, bloated museum of treachery, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today. I'm Henry Gilbert, and you've won more than you bargained for. And who do we have on the line? Uh, Luke Savage, just here uh, sipping moderately priced champagne, uh, smug and secure in my finery. How are you guys doing? <laughs> I hope you have sandwiches, and today's episode is Mountain of Madness. The roots are treacherous. So use your maps. Uh, I lost my map. You haven't been issued a map yet. (laughs) Today's episode aired on February 2nd, 1997. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) 
Oh boy, Bobby. Legendary acting teacher Sanford Meisner passes away. The video game Final Fantasy VII introduces the world to the terror of Sephiroth. Mm. And the special edition of Star Wars shows everyone what Jabba was supposed to look like and that Han sh- shot first. Uh, I, that was the Japanese release date for Final Fantasy VII. Uh, pardon <laughs> but, me, No, it still counts. Bob. It still counts. It was, the, it was the first release date. We would get it on 9-7-97. A very, uh, very important number in terms of counting. So, well, few dates were more important to me than this uh, at the time in 97 is the release of the special edition of Star Wars that was advertised to hell and back. I could not wait for it. I ne- to get to see mm. the original Star Wars or Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, to see that in theaters was a big deal, and I was when I saw it the first time, I was just dazzled by all those then new special effects. Now I'm I'm a little ashamed of how excited <laughs> I got about it, or just how impressed I was with the special effects. Now I think we're eagerly awaiting. Like, are they not coming out with just like they're re-releasing the original trilogy so we can see it without all the corrupt special effects and like extra heads and extra lightsaber blades. <laughs> that's been the and all rumor the for years that they were going to do it. It's yeah. not been announced yet. That's I think that's their like emergency lever they pull if they feel like people are becoming disengaged with the brand that is Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's their one emergency like trump card, but my history with the uh, the Star Wars series would probably aggravate some of you out there where I never watched it ever as a kid because this was the time where Lucas was taking time off of Star Wars and it wasn't being shown around as much anymore. It was and it was considered just for like uber nerds. And I was one, but I wasn't that kind of uber nerd. So the re-airing or re-showing of The Empire Strikes Back was my first Star Wars movie I ever saw. Wow. And because of that, I rented the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, and I was like, oh yeah, Star Wars is pretty cool. And I still have never seen Return of the Jedi. Jesus. Two, two Christmases ago, I watched A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and I was like, I don't feel like I don't feel like watching Return of the Jedi. So I never. Honestly, I think in like this age where like like basically everything is branded like Star Wars. Like I got a banana at the supermarket a while ago, and I had a Star Wars sticker on it. <laughs> I think like given that your like Return of the Jedi aestheticism is pretty admirable. The uh, the official <laughs> banana of the Star Wars universe. Well, I mean, you grew up as a child named Luke in in Star Wars. Right? What was that like? Oh man, if I had a dime for every time, you know, it, it like I even have. I even have Luke Skywalker's initials. So, oh God! Yeah, it was, I had a rough time as a kid. Oh my gosh! How many men have claimed to be your father, Luke? Uh, more than I could count. <laughs> <laughs> So, Luke, can you tell us your history with The Simpsons, uh, especially as as a Canadian? Yeah. Okay. Well, so in my in my days of uh, you know getting Luke, I am your father uh, all the time. You know, I was was a country boy. I grew up in uh, rural Ontario, uh, about two and a half hours, I guess, southwest of Toronto. And believe it or not, The Simpsons was actually on our national public broadcaster um, at wow, five wow. p.m. So I would get home uh, on the school bus and I'd have like a snack. And then at 5 p.m. I'd always sit down and watch The Simpsons. And I guess these would have been reruns. But in the process of watching The Simpsons like pretty much five days a week, um, I I just like absorbed all the classic Simpsons stuff. But of course, I had I had that thing like, you know, I don't know how old you guys were in the 90s. But for me, like I kind of have lived The Simpsons through twice because you know you watch them when you're a kid and you don't really understand like all the irony and like all the kind of cultural references go right over your head mm-hmm. and then about like five or six years ago I sat down and watched The Simpsons again and it was so strange because like I remembered everything from it but it was like even funnier mm-hmm. than I than I remembered 
Yeah, the, when the DVDs were coming out in the early 2000s, that's when I was first entering college, and that's when it was my real like adult reviewing of The <laughs> Simpsons. But So next week, we'll have Will Sloan on, uh, who was also one of your podcast peers, Luke. Yep, podcast and, comrade in arms. Yes, and I'll let you talk about your podcast in one second, but we all have the similar experience in that we all, at, at the time period in which our brains were the most elastic or, or um, had the most plasticity rather we were living in a world where the Simpsons was on like 10 times a day so that is what uh, was etched into our brains and now it's a sort of sickness and we've turned that sickness into a career <laughs> yes. but uh, Luke I do want you to talk about your podcast Michael and us Henry and I have both uh, you and Will coming on the show because we're big fans of the show but can you explain a bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in the same way that The Simpsons was, I guess, like the deep text of like all of our childhoods, when I turned like 13 or 14 and I started getting into politics, you know, one of my entry points into politics just was like kind of in the early like Bush era, you know, post 9-11. You know, my sort of guide to that whole era was Michael Moore. And for me, Michael Moore represented, you know, I think for Will too, kind of the, you know, the limits of, uh, of politics. Like I remember going to see Fahrenheit 9-11 in Stratford, Ontario with a couple of my friends and us just coming out of the theater uh, like we just experienced this kind of earth-shattering, like truth-telling <laughs> event. Fast forward to uh, adulthood and, you know, we're living through kind of the early years of another Republican presidency and, you know, there's a lot of really ineffectual liberal politics uh, around again and, you um, so I guess it was before, it was during the 2016 election, Will and I had this idea, like, let's just watch all of Michael Moore's films, you know, all your favorites from uh, Slacker Uprising to uh, <laughs> Canadian Bacon and uh, some of those other ones. God. Um, we kind of watched them basically in order. We also watched, you know, there's a whole kind of uh, market of like sort of straight to DVD conservative, I don't know, counterattacks against Michael Moore, like really low, it would low be rent, bargain basement type stuff. It would we be wrong to call them movies. They're not movies. <laughs> yeah, somehow, yeah. The, somehow Dinesh D'Souza gets in the movie theaters, and that that's uh, troubling. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very troubling. Um, but you know, eventually, you know, all, all good things must come to an end. So, uh, you know, mercifully, we ran out of Michael Moore films to watch, but people were listening, so we kind of turned it into a you know more general podcast about um, you know political cinema, TV, and kind of agitprop um, with you know a, a a focus, but not an exclusive focus on sort of the you know, cultural products from, I guess, the the early 2000s. So we recently did uh, Idiocracy, which was that Luke Wilson film from the mid-2000s that, that Mike Judge, uh, I guess, wrote and directed. So it's a, it's a lot of things like that. So it's like a bit of culture, a bit of politics. And I would be remiss if I didn't uh, point out that we have a Patreon. So uh, mm -hmm. please give us your money. Uh -huh. <laughs> I do, and the bonus episodes are great. But yes, I had a very similar background to you and Henry, too, where yeah. I was a very, uh, I'm much more to the left now. But when I saw Fahrenheit 9-11 when I was 22, in some nothing Ohio town, I was like, can they show this? Exactly. Yeah. It felt, it felt like illegal seeing the movie. No, and I saw it in Jacksonville, Florida, and it was a major thing to even get my mom to watch it. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm going to see this again. I'm taking my mom to it. She'll know the truth. And it just, now it feels so silly. It almost feels like I'm making me, my mom watch like a YouTube video on, on a <laughs> bunch of uh, conspiracy theories about Saudi Arabia, which is why I was also like, 
Awakened by TV Nation oh, yeah, and TV Nation. Politically Incorrect. Both those shows, like, <laughs> that's what I thought politics was because I I grew up in a rather conservative suburb, so that, that seemed so outside the bounds of real politics to me then. And yeah, as I've grown up, it's, well, especially Bill Maher is just an utter, like, contemptible disappointment <laughs> to me. I, I cannot I, stand I used to him. believe in him 15 uh, years ago, maybe. <laughs> watched his new stand-up special for a recent episode. I can't remember if that was a bonus episode or I think it was a regular episode. Um, so people can listen to that on SoundCloud. But yeah, I mean, he's his shtick is like, it's still exactly the same as it's been for 10 or 15 years. And it's like, I don't know, he just complains about political correctness and sort of similar to the Ricky Gervais, uh, you know, another person I used to like, who actually, in his defense, has a, a much better body of work than Bill Maher will ever have. Oh, but, for sure. Um, similar to his stand-up special, just a lot of complaining about mean tweets and the people, <laughs> you know, mean replies that he gets on Twitter or whatever. And uh, lots of jokes that just like, how does anyone find this funny? Like, I swear to God, Bill Maher's opener in his new stand-up special, the setup is something like, you know, so we're here in Oklahoma. I'm not going to try to do Bill Maher. But, <laughs> you know, it's like we're here in Oklahoma and uh, where, you know, your governor has warned uh, that legalizing weed could lead to recreational use. And then there's a long pause and he's like, well, we very much hope so, Mr. Governor. Ugh. And the crowd just like hoots and hollers like, who is this brave truth teller who, you know, <laughs> he smokes pot and he doesn't yeah. believe in God. That's as far as, uh, as far left as it goes. And uh, before you think we're going too far off topic, the Simpsons has made fun of Bill Maher by saying he's too ugly to appear on TV before midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like 15 uh, years ago. He's, he's only that. gotten uglier. No, I actually, uh, that Andy Kindler had a great joke about Bill Maher. These thinks he's the only comedian who still says like, I kid the president folks. He's like, how old are you? <laughs> Like, how fucking old are you to say that? But, yeah. Watching it, I guess there's, like, a certain generation for whom, like, just having, like, a late-night host who sort of makes jokes about the president, like, there's still novelty in that. They still mm -hmm. think it's really funny. It's the same thing that enables some people, like, certainly not me or anybody I associate with, uh, to find Annie Borowitz funny. Oh, like, my God. Uh, the idea that um, it's the novelty of seeing like a fake news headline and it's like the format of a newspaper, which is this like somber thing that, you know, your your dad reads in the morning before going to work at the factory. But then the, the headlines like, you know, Donald Trump to Kim Jong Un, what's your secret? He takes a normal headline and makes it like 1.3 percent weirder and then he walks away. <laughs> So yeah, I, I love Michael and us for not only how you take the starch out of what was left-wing commentary a while ago, but also the conservative ones. I, I love the multiple anti-Fahrenheit 9-11 ones you did, and you just keep saying, like, it's the same guy over yeah. and over again. It's, his whole job was to appear in Michael Moore documentaries. <laughs> There's a whole, like, like like mini economy that was just people making these really crappy videos with their like DV cameras. And what was so funny about that was like, you know, all these people that hate Michael Moore so much were also so threatened by his very tepid, innocuous, like <laughs> critiques of, you know, George Bush or whatever. But they, you know, he was also like their introduction to filmmaking in a lot of cases. So a lot of these films, like they just copied his style exactly. Like they have all the same kind of earnest, aw shucks, you know, personal narration and, like needlessly inserting themselves into the film and the sort of like, you know, that phony like naivete that Michael Moore does where he'll talk to somebody and he sort of like is, is 
talking about ideas as if he's thought about them for the first time, even though the whole thing is just like a stunt. Mm-hmm. They, all, they all do that. Yes. Yeah, so Michael and us will tell you more about it at the end of the show. We fully endorse it. Uh, we heartily endorse it, rather. <laughs> so this episode, Mountain of Madness, yes, it is an H.P. Lovecraft reference, but that's where it stops. Yeah. Uh, written by John Swartzwelder and directed by Mark Kirkland. Apparently, this was like the one John Swartzwelder script of note that was heavily rewritten. And they don't give too many details on the commentary track, but it's sort of implied that it was a mistake to do so much rewriting because they got into more trouble because Josh Weinstein said a John Swartzwelder script is like a piece of Swiss machinery like mm-hmm. only he can tinker with it it's too complicated for anyone else to touch so apparently this story was much crazier originally didn't have a lot of the park ranger stuff in it originally so that's like sort of the boring kind of humor that I don't associate with Swartzwelder yeah that seems like the infusion of the boringness into it not the wacky 1940s libertarian views of, of John Swartzwelder instead yeah. it's, I was surprised to hear it had such a troubled rewrite I think they have that about what once in each season in seven and eight like for seven it was sideshow bob's last gleaming and then for this one it's just massive rewrites they have to do to it but i sometimes you can feel like oh you overwrote this it's not as funny now but this was still a very good episode you know if they reanimated it or or did they just like like, did they actually, as it were, shoot it and then have to do it again? Or did they I, just, like, have to rewrite the script? I believe all the most substantial rewrites were done before the animation process. One thing they added in animation was the ending of Burns and Homer uh, staring at each other mm-hmm. and that little right. uh, exchange they have. That was one thing added after the full-color animation came back. They must have thought Lenny's fall was like, oh, that's enough. That's, that was originally the planned ending. They were like, no, 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 we need we need a little more. And Lenny apparently does not die. We'll get to that, though. No, it's yeah. a second major plummet down a hole. <laughs> caused by burns i thought it was fun to go back to the nuclear power plant we haven't been there in a few episodes mm-hmm. i think this almost feels like a sequel to homer the smithers because you have a very independent burns compared to the previous unself-reliant burns yeah. in in other years yes what he's... is with mr burns in this one he's like so uh he's so cheerful and he doesn't really go off the rails until uh until he gets cabin fever it's true he's really he's very proactive in this episode and i love him just strolling into the office whistling and uh <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it, but when he gets his coffee, that animation after he takes one sip, it is an amazing frame of Burns' his hands spread open and his eyes are wide open I and his mouth that. is open. I use that for a lot of uh, a lot of gifts and a lot of memes. <laughs> now he's he's bouncing into work here. Let's let's hear that first clip. Good morning, sir. Care for some coffee? No, the promise of a new day is more than enough exhilaration for me. Coffee. Ah, we need some excitement around here. Chinese checkers or domestic, sir? No, uh, no, something fun. Something the men will enjoy, like a safety drill. But what kind? Uh, meltdown alert, mad dog drill, blimp attack. Ah, I think a good old-fashioned fire drill today. And he sets off the fire drill, which everyone reacts to as a real one, and... I love the sound of the the popcorn kernels hitting that bowl. Like, it's very well observed. It really is. Just everybody freaking out. And the animation on the guy grabbing the fire extinguisher to just beat everyone with it. That's one of my favorite jokes in this, too. It's great. I like like how they're they're all running out of, like, the staff room or whatever. And then Lenny's just standing there by the cocoa machine. And he's like... (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> he and, can't leave without his uh, without his hot cocoa. And just one guy saying, fire, 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 fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> and when Homer makes his way out of there, he 
for no reason blocks the door to keep everyone else in there. <laughs> he doesn't really understand the purpose of a fire drill. It's no. sort of like more like a race for him. <laughs> yes. This is like uh, this is like when my elementary school, you know, my rural elementary school, we had a we had a fire drill, but then we also had a tornado drill, and unfortunately, the alarms sounded very similar. So. Sometimes when we had a tornado drill, everyone would just run outside. <laughs> well, the only the only fun drills in in my school growing up were the ones where you jumped out of the back of the bus. Oh like, man! Twice a year, you'd have to oh, like that okay, awesome. yeah. I was like, wow, this is this is the door I never go out of. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, uh, I had a fire drill once as a kid where I was in high school and I blew it off and just went to hunt. Like it was like okay, leave this room and then we all meet up at the at the football field and then I simply didn't go. I just hung out with a friend who was like, ah, blow it off. And then I came back to the classroom. The teacher was like, what did you do? (laughs) I got got sent to the principal because like they couldn't put down my name as present during it. And so she got in trouble. And uh, you were fake dead. I was. Well, when they come outside, you also hear that it was only, it goes up to 15 minutes that time or two, which was pretty funny. And that everybody had to break out through walls and windows because nobody moved the thing <laughs> after they knew it wasn't a drill. Yeah, like, there are just giant holes in the walls and busted windows. Then <laughs> Lenny and Carl fist fighting. Yeah, I, I like that Homer, he's he's on both of their sides. He's rooting for both of them. He just wants to see a fight. There's, I, I like I like how a fight breaks out and everybody just like, like, it's like so uh it's so kind of just calm and everybody just instantly starts <laughs> cheering like no one is even the slightest bit shaken by it i i really like the tension between lenny and carl but it also upsets me they're like what's wrong <laughs> oh no why does carl why is carl so resentful of lenny all of a sudden <laughs> carl really hates lenny in this one yeah it's, it's pretty well, good there, there's that there's that great moment later when they get paired together lenny uh and uh carl and then carl's just like oh nuts and then he looks at lenny who's just like heartbroken and then he's like i mean uh and he just kind of gives up being polite and he just repeats himself like oh oh nuts i feel like the the gods of this universe uh lenny and carl are fated to be together by their design yeah they they will never be free from each other though this is when you get to find out that lenny's cool with them being constant chums but uh carl not so much also as a kid i didn't know the Ritz brothers were a thing. I did not get that reference. I thought Burns was misremembering the Marx brothers. Yeah, no, me too. But it's I, a, it's an older group of comedic brothers, right? Even less memorable. Yeah. Ritz. I, I only know the Ritz brothers because I worked at a mom and pop video store that stocked up on these Kino DVDs that have public things domain. no one wants to see. Like <laughs> There's a public domain <laughs> classics collection. Pretty much, yeah. I And then I got to see the Ritz brothers in a uh, one of those classic cartoons of the 40s where or the 30s were like donald duck goes to the movies and he meets all these famous people including the rich brothers and i was like that's when i realized oh the rich brothers are a thing i assume they would have walked out of like a magazine cover and tormented like daffy duck or something <laughs> actually they sing to donald uh, he wants an autograph mm, he wants a famous song i know it everyone remembers <laughs> it. i also the animation team mark kirkland directed this one and they reused every design they've ever had before of a plant employee like i spotted oh wow for example the the woman with the thousand yard stare who just is drinking and, and late, marge gets a job later She's wearing there. yeah later wearing the moose atler <laughs> cap yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, fong and zoo troy are there mindy simmons can even be spotted in the background there they're hitting all of the plant worker designs they it's have a super efficient use of the plant workers it also explains why uh when they actually go on the picnic the power plant only seems to have like 10 or 15 <laughs> 
employees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this giant nuclear power station uh, is just like has the most uh, efficiently sized workforce in the country. <laughs> yeah, outside of like Lenny and Carl and Zutroy, I don't see a lot of other memorable pl- characters like Charlie, that guy Charlie. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, Charlie got sent off to India, remember? He's, he's, he's come <laughs> back, right? Um, <laughs> not yet. And okay. soon he'll be arrested for uh, questioning HD television and the uh, expansion of that. But the I've been in the corporate work world. I've been on a couple corporate retreats. One I just didn't go to because I was like, ah, fuck this. But the the two I went to, I wish it was on a fancy mountain with like an outdoor hike. Instead, we had to go to this park in San Francisco and do stuff with this basically an improv troupe and do oh. a scavenger hunt there. And I felt, I actually felt really bad for the improv troupe because they were in a public park in a major city. So they had to hang around to wait for employees to come up to them and ask for scavenger hunt clues. But meanwhile, they were being bothered by homeless people all day. Oh, no. I felt really bad for the improv people. <laughs> I have a company retreat story. Oh. So I used to work in uh, the games press, games media, uh, writing about video games. And I was working on a website and I, I'd been there for like probably 18 months. And they were just like round after round of layoffs and morality was at an all time <laughs> low. And they were like, let's have uh, a company retreat two weeks before we lay everyone else off. So oh. that <laughs> happened uh, and it was miserable. And no, no teams were built. No teamwork was founded. And one of the major presentations was basically, here's how we're going to get people to do your job for free. And I'm like, <laughs> why, why are you doing this? Why did you bring us to this remote location to tell us you're replacing us? Uh, and it was it's IGN, like the, by the way. It's like the sort of corporate equivalent of like, when a couple reinstates date night to try to save the relationship and then breaks up like two weeks later. Yes, totally. exactly. <laughs> it was like sort of like breaking up with you on vacation or something like that. But uh, <laughs> my only experience with retreats has been extremely negative. Mm. And uh, I just think companies can't afford them anymore. They I mean, it, it's, kind of, it's, it's a treat in some way for the worker, but it's also money that they don't want to spend. I think just like forced camaraderie is really annoying. Like, I don't think I've ever been on something like this, but, uh, you know, I remember starting university and, and like, I don't know if they refer to it as frosh week in the United States, you, you know, kind of arrived to, uh, you know, in my case, it was like, oh yeah, I'm starting my adult life. And then it turns out my adult life had to begin with sort of like three-legged races and like carrying an egg on a spoon and stuff. And you're like, <laughs> This fucking sucks. (laughs) Whenever I was on those retreats, I would just wonder, how much did this cost? And couldn't you have just given us all a... Uh, a bonus instead. I that yeah. would have helped my morale much more. Actually, there was an open bar at this retreat, and then the presentation about how we're Water being replaced. Early price champagne. Uh, <laughs> it was free champagne, but it was oh, ba- awesome. it was probably still bad. But uh, it was the day after the open bar that they gave that presentation, and everyone was just hungover <laughs> as hell. So it was the worst possible audience to receive that information. Yeah, there, there's a darker side to these things because, like, and I mean, to Mr. Burns's credit, I don't think he really puts them through this in Mountain of Madness. Like, there's a lot of like company team building exercise is now where basically they they're just about getting you to be like loyal to your corporate overlords and like get they get you to like chant you know the whatever the brand oh, like, yeah. name is or whatever that shit's really creepy to me yeah yeah and actually on another of those on the one i skipped i got to hear that part of it was coming up with ideas to like pitch a new website for the company oh. like hey if we were to expand what would your pitch be it's like <laughs> wait no th- this is this is a lot of extra work on this <laughs> trip like so they're just like they're just like getting you to do extra work pretending and they're going to use like they're going to use it later but they're just pretending that it's 
it's like a fun game. Yeah, it's just a fun like when game. when when parents like trying to get like their kids to eat vegetables or something, like making it into a game. <laughs> uh, but Homer Homer seems to think that the family is supposed to come with him, and I I love that he makes that assumption. As he's talking about it, Bart's speech here is is really great. It just sounds like something John Swartzwelder would say it's in exactly his average that. daily life. Yeah, <laughs> teamwork is overrated. Uh-huh. Think about it. I mean. What team was Babe Ruth on? Who knows? <laughs> Yankees. Sharing is a bunch of bull, too. And helping others. And what's all this crap I've been hearing about tolerance? <laughs> mm, your ideas are intriguing to me, and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. But I think we have to go on a retreat anyway. What was that one um, That one rant by Homer that it's sort of a non sequitur about, like, what have the homeless ever done for us? Nothing. Oh, yeah. What's the point of charity? Who has even helped? Nobody. Who cares? Nobody. And like, then no yeah. one responds anyway. Just stare at him yeah. and turn around. Yeah. It's, well, this came up in Mike Reese's book when he talks about John Schwartzwelder, but he said that they would often just put his rants in there about how he'd say like i'm healthier than ever from smoking five packs a day or you know i read somewhere that there's more rainforest than ever in the world not less <laughs> in fact uh so jennifer crittenden who was a writer on the show at this time she would go to seinfeld and she would pitch ideas for Kramer that were things John Swartzwelder either said or did, and they'd be like, "That's too crazy." Yes, so yeah. John Swartzwelder is a is a crazier version of Kramer. <laughs> Jal Jean told the story that he said that when Clinton got a- elected, he said that he'd be lynched within a year <laughs> by the people. I was like Jesus. He's your Republican dad, is what Mike Re or your dad's friend. That's how Mike Reese de- described him. The Simpsons will be right back. Only who can support this podcast on Patreon? You pick you, referring to me. The correct answer is you. Only you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons, where every week we do brand new content just for you folks on the Patreon. Not only will $5 a month help me and Bob do this full time, which allows us to get cool guests, you get access to every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and ad-free. You could be listening to the Sherry Bob and Spectacular right now. Also, you'd get a week ahead of time and ad-free every episode of What a cartoon our sister podcast where we go through a different cartoon each week in the talking simpson style not to mention you'll get access to over a dozen exclusive interviews that are only on the patreon with tons of simpsons experts including most recently mark kirkland who has directed more episodes of the simpsons than anybody else and mike reese who wrote an entire book about his 30 years on the show plus on patreon.com slash talking simpsons you get access to our exclusive limited series like me and bob going through every episode of the critic with talking critic and the entire first season of futurama with talking futurama you can listen to all that and so much more for just five dollars a month and if you sign up at the ten dollar premium level you get access to our monthly exclusive video this month's video me and bob doing commentary on the lost clip show springfield's most wanted learn so much right there all at patreon.com slash talking simpsons also i'd like to tell you folks that talking simpsons is going on the road that's right we have two count them two live shows coming up in portland oregon 
If you live in the Pacific Northwest, there's no reason not to come by and see me and Bob do one of two live shows in Portland, Oregon on Saturday, October 20th. That's Saturday, October 20th at Kelly's Olympian, the 2 p.m. show. We'll see me and Bob going through some of our favorite Treehouse of Horror segments. Meanwhile, at the 5 o'clock show, we have our special, special, special guest, Bill Oakley, former executive producer of The Simpsons and co-showrunner during this year of the show. Bill Oakley is one of our favorite guests. We have always loved talking to him, and now we're going to be chatting with him live about Treehouse of Horror Classics in Portland, Oregon. You can find links to get your own tickets and more details on it at patreon.com slash talking simpsons, or head over to tinyurl.com slash talking simpsons live for links to the Portland, Oregon tickets. That's, again, October 20th, 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. only is the Bill Oakley Show. Check out tickets now. Kelly's Olympian, Talking Simpsons Live in Portland. Uh, but when they head up to the the mountains, it is kind of Oakley and Weinstein stuff. The celebration of public parks and this kind of like New Deal or the remnants of New Deal style uh, yeah. expansion of public works. I, I like that. It's cute. Like, and then the park is suffering. Like, there's less entertainment because of cutbacks. Although yep. later you find out that there's uh, like the ranger tells them there's like a community music festival. So I don't know who to believe. <laughs> I'm guessing you pay to uh, attend that festival. Yeah. Oh yeah, true. I figure uh, that's why he brought it up to be like, we've uh, tickets still available, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's so, trying to... so it's actually that the park has been sort of quasi privatized and like yeah. no longer <laughs> can depend on like uh, property taxes or whatever. That sounds true. And uh, I love their visit to Mount Useful because uh, <laughs> I love seeing the Simpsons in different outfits, mm-hmm. in different settings, and they rarely do a snow setting. It's like maybe three or four times in the history of the show to this point. So it's nice to see them all in their, their snow gear. I love Homer's outfit. His and purple jacket with red hat on his on his stout frame is yeah. so funny looking. It's it's clowny. And and their arrival of just like bouncing the car off of the other cars is so hilarious too. It's almost like sort of a rake gag scene in which yes. it goes on way longer than you would expect and <laughs> it, it doesn't really resolve. The car just comes to a stop in the middle of all the other cars. There's, there are a bunch of different bits like that in this episode. Like uh, I don't know the uh the writing staff as well as you guys, but uh there's a bunch of things that where the pacing is just like the bit goes on longer than you think like the part at the end where uh lenny falls down the hole and it takes longer than it should just to mm-hmm. let you know how just how far he's falling before you hear that like dull thud or uh when miss when homer and burns are staring at each other or when the ranger tells them that they've had to uh you know make cutbacks and so <laughs> there's like no fun of any kind and there's just like a long pause before he walks away or whatever there's there's a lot of taking of time in this yeah. episode, which is a lot of fun, especially with the like seventeen avalanches that happen. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, let's hear from that ranger. All right, let me start off by telling you this will not be a walk in the park. This will be the most arduous and backbreaking weekend of your life. I cannot overemphasize the dangers which. Did you bring your family, Simpson? Uh, yes, sir. I thought I was supposed to. <sighs> Imbecile. Simpson, your family will have to remain here. Oh, man. Don't worry, kids. This is a national park. We can have lots of fun. I'm afraid that's no longer true, (laughs) ma'am. Budget cutbacks have forced us to eliminate anything the least bit entertaining. (laughs) 
Well, uh, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he just appears to deliver that exposition and then leaves. So like, yeah. why, why? How did you appear? Why are you saying this to us? His and, only job is to tell people it's not fun. Yeah. Like, you're not going to have fun. <laughs> and on the commentary, they say he's based on Al Gore. I think just the design is based on Al Gore. He's, uh, Hank Azaria is giving a very Adam Westy. Yeah, actually, uh, it's... Well, it's like the, a low-key Adam West. Sorry, it's Hank. the return of the beekeeper from Lisa's right. Rivals. He, he's not quite as dramatic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he is kind of in that mode. On the commentary, Mac Rating is very defensive when they say, like, oh, my, Al Gore didn't want to do the show. He's like, he'd do it now. He just did Futurama. He'd do it. <laughs> like... <laughs> He's uh, Mac Rainey has a brand new friend in Al Gore, and he's not going to let them talk bad about Al Gore. Mm-hmm. The quick Michael and us the uh, praise again. I love the continued use of uh, President Gore. The pre- yeah, uh, guys, the- Al Gore won the popular vote. Don't forget it. Yep, <laughs> <he's> the- <laughs> uh, Nothing but respect for my President Gore. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did, but anyway, the. <laughs> Also, Homer's reaction to, I have had that on company things as well. Just like, oh, I forgot my map, but you haven't been given a map yet. <laughs> in, in that entire scene, it's almost like a Jim Reardon drawing from The Simpsons where Homer is just so plump and so stupid looking, <laughs> uh, just in this really funny pose with his like goofy snow outfit on. I just love it. He looks like a little kid. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's so cute. Does he does he call Smithers Mr. Smithers in this episode? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he, that's uh, uh, the Lisa even calls him Mr. Smithers. <laughs> like, yeah. Here's when everybody's getting partnered off with some more fun Homer Smithers interactions. I placed all your names in this hat. Woo. Thank you. Now pair off as I draw your names, Lenny and Carl. Ah, uh, nuts. I mean, um, ah, nuts. Fong and <laughs> Zutroy. Kimball and Dawson, Amy and Drucker, Simpson and Burns. Oh, quiet, you fool. You're on the one team that can't possibly be fired. Oh. Sir, this can't be right. You assured me this drawing was rigged so we'd be teammates. Yes, well, frankly, you've been a bit of a pill lately. <laughs> Why do we always fight on vacation? Aww. Well, there's only one name left. Whoever it is will be paired with me. And that person is... Waylon Smithers. Perfect. That's just perfect. <laughs> uh, Smithers is so great in this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad he finally gets time to shine away from Burns. And by shine, I mean be miserable. I've never had a fight on a vacation with a, with a partner, so I feel I feel extra bad for Smithers here that the, the once again on a vacation, they, they, they just can't have any fun. Burns is being a dick to him. And the names that are being called here, so uh, Haney and Drucker, that's a Green Acres reference. Those are two oh. Green Acres characters. I looked as hard as I could, and I could not find uh, what Kimball and Dawson is a reference to. And it can't not be a reference. It has to be something so old-timey that it's hard to Google. So if you're out there and you know what Kimball and Dawson is a reference to, it's not a reference <laughs> to The Fugitive, by the way. I looked, that was the first thing that popped into my head. He's not Dr. Richard Kimball. So, yes, Kimball and Dawson, solve the mystery, listeners. <laughs> now, if we wanted to be really pedantic about this scene, we might point out that uh, when Mr. Smithers reads the names, uh, Lenny and Carl get their first names read, and then the other names sound like <laughs> last names. Yeah, yeah, wait a minute. At this point, uh, we didn't know their names were Lenny Leonard and Carl Carlson. So that would be a, that would be a later discovery in like season fourteen or something like that. And uh, Fong and Troy, those are the immigrant laborers from Much Apu About Nothing, but only in a deleted scenes. The guys tasked with eating nuclear waste. We never we never saw Tibor. No, no sign of Tibor. Right, sorry, when Burns 
shoots the uh, the starting pistol that it throws him into the ground and that he just very calmly like no i'll just shoot myself back out of it that's all that's so funny this has happened before i think yeah he's he's used to that if he wasn't on snow would have just broken his legs i guess so as they leave the rest of the family in the museum, I also really love how specific it is in the references of what a boring natural history museum is like with presentations that haven't changed like since 1965. And especially the Smokey the Bear. The Smokey the Bear is one of my favorite lines yeah, it, ever. It really reminded me of how just spartan and depressing the interiors of nature centers were when I was growing up. Yeah. Just like one, one old volunteer working. Uh, everything was from the 70s or the 60s. <laughs> Dusty old taxidermy things, like, just not fun. For me, it was, like, uh, pioneer villages and, like, uh, grown adults who, I guess, as part of their jobs, weren't allowed to break character. But it was, like, extremely annoying. And there would just be, like, a a small uh, a small hut. And the whole takeaway was, like, you know, they didn't have the modern conveniences that we have or whatever. <laughs> That was like every school trip for me growing up. <laughs> and uh, though you didn't get to have a Smokey the Bear where you grew up, I bet. No, sadly not. Only who can prevent forest fires? You pressed you, referring to me. That is incorrect. The correct answer is you. <laughs> Mom, can Lisa and I play outside away from the bear? <laughs> okay, but when you start getting apple-cheeked, it's time to come in. Away from the bear. That, that's a fun <laughs> linguistic joke that really feels like a Futurama writer joke to yes, me. Yes, yeah. But Luke was talking about visiting the pioneer villages, and we did a bit of that uh, in my school. And I, th- I think the intent was uh, to to guilt children. It would always be framed in the way like they didn't have Nintendo, mm. they couldn't watch cartoons. And what I took away from that was not, oh, I should I should value these things. My takeaway was, boy, it sucked to be them. Yeah, the 19th century or whatever is so boring. Why would I want to learn about it? Yeah. But the closest I had to do with that, I did to go to St. Augustine, uh, America's first city where nothing happened and it was just like a boondoggle by Ponce de Leon, but technically America's first city. And uh, you'd get to drink from the uh, a tourist trap called the Fountain of Youth there, too. Now it's kind of just a fountain of trichinosis, I'm guessing. <laughs> hey, I mean, I haven't died yet. It could be a fountain of uh, youth. You never know. Uh, so We'll test that after the show. <laughs> uh, we, we also get a fun... This episode really opens up not just the pairing of Homer and Burns together, but also of Smithers with the kids, which as a uh, bachelor, Smithers, they never really do stuff with with him with kids so this is a side of him we never get to experience before how could you do this to me mr burns after all i've done for you why if you were here i'd kick you right in your bony old behind do i thank you simpson i have been watching my figure <laughs> please please come here i found two snowflakes that are exactly alike really let me see <laughs> Oops, sorry Hi, Mr. Smithers Oh, great It's the Bobsy twins We'll take your prying eyes elsewhere Oh, I'm sorry It hasn't been a good day If I don't get to the top of the mountain real soon I could get fired We'll help you I have a watch with a minute hand <sighs> All right, you can come What time is it? 1280 <laughs> No, wait Wait, what, what comes after 12? One. 
No, after 12. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, Henry. And I think a lot of the intent with this episode was let's pair up characters that we normally don't see together. So, I mean, we've seen Homer in Burns, but never on these good terms they're on briefly in the show. Mm -hmm. You know, when they sort of become friends, odd friends. (laughs) And I love Bart's pronouncement of no after 12, which it reminds me of... When you're trying to ask someone for help and they're getting it all wrong, and when you try to correct them, they're just like, no, come <laughs> on. They, they get more insistent about the thing they're wrong about. And the, uh, the Bobsy Twins, by the way, folks, if you don't know, was a children's novel series that started in 1904 and was they published dozens and dozens of them for nine decades until it finally ended. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really know the... I mean, I knew it was reference to a book series, but... I had assumed that they solved mysteries, but they don't. No. It's just regular kids in their lives. Yeah, it's sort of like, (laughs) just here's a story by regular kids. Read it. At least the Babysitter's Club starts a business. Yeah, I'm sure there's at least three mysteries (laughs) involving babies. The What, the boxcar children, they went on adventures at least. In a boxcar? They were in a boxcar in one book, and at the end of that book, they get adopted, and then they're just like rich kids, rich orphans who go back to their boxcar That's a bait and switch. I paid for a boxcar <laughs> child story. Did, did the Bobsy twins, like, did they get up to hijinks and, like, goings on, or what was their, what was their, what did they do? They were fraternal twins on hijinks. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, low-level hijinks. What I read about it, I guess the appeal was there weren't a lot of books written about, like, there were stories about kids with gumption on adventures and things like that, but there were never, uh, there weren't a lot of like domestic stories about the lives of children, and that was sort of a a novel concept uh, because we were we were entering the age when these books are being published, in which oh yeah, kids are not like tiny slaves; they're people <laughs> that we can't uh, force to work in mines anymore. So, what are their lives like? <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Homer and Burns are talking about cheating. Tell me, Simpson. If an opportunity arose for taking a small shortcut, you wouldn't be averse to taking it, would you? Not as such. Neither would I. I've always felt that there's far too much hysteria these days about so-called cheating. (laughs) Yes, a lot of hysteria. Mm Mm-hmm. If you can take advantage of a situation in some way, it's your duty as an American to do it. Why should the race always be to the swift or the jumble to the quick-witted? Should they be allowed to win merely because of the gifts God gave them? Well, I say, cheating is the gift. Man gives himself. Mr. Burns, I insist that we cheat. Excellent. <laughs> and to do so, I propose we travel by... Horseless sleigh. Wow, you sure know how to cheat, Mr. Burns. Yes, well, I'm older than you. Ha! Huh. You know, Simpson, you're not as objectionable as you seemed when we first met. No, sir, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love their relationship in this episode, especially when they start bonding. But uh, these these uncomfortable scenes at first where Homer's like, I don't know what to say to this man. I'm yeah. terrified of him. <laughs> I can't say the wrong thing. I have to. Homer is being so guarded in his speech, though Burns is too, because Burns is, it's kind of like somebody floating the idea of like half jokingly committing a crime with you or, or, uh, joking not joking asking you something sexual but instead just like hey cheating hey i mean what do you think of it Hmm?" i like that burns is both sort of competent enough and he's like thought enough through the cheating that he's got a 
you know, like a snowmobile for them to drive away on, but then he still calls it like a horseless sleigh. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know the common terminology, but yeah, I, I like Burns that he's being more personable and floating that idea past Homer. He's not like, Simpson, we're cheating now, or you're fired, help me cheat. He's just like, here, new chum, what would you think of this idea? <laughs> And we get a nice callback to Burns' love of the junior jumble. Mm, that's tr- That's true. From Homer the Smithers. Yes. To the yeah. jumble to the quick-witted. <laughs> the jumble to the quick-witted. <laughs> and then we flash back to Marge. And I really like this from a writing standpoint because they need to tie up Marge in some way while Homer is in one place and the kids are in another place. Marge needs to end up at the final destination, but in a different way too. And they really find a clever way of doing that. I don't want to take credit away from John Schwartzwelder and say he didn't come up with that but again Mike Reese was pretty clear of like John Schwartzwelder would often just write a Simpsons script and for some reason leave out Lisa and Marge entirely <laughs> so I, I'm wondering if That's they true. had that afterwards but it's really what first she sees a thing with John Muir which he was the like he's called the father of the national parks in America yeah and he actually died in 1914 so I don't believe there's any recorded audio of him so (laughs) Dan Castellaneta is doing a imitation of a John Muir impersonator he heard at uh, Yosemite Park yes (laughs) if you can't count on that uh, an imitator then for authenticity then who can you it's it's a great crazy voice and I like how Mark just sort of backs out of the room backs away like okay getting out of here it's the same we've seen that back away joke many times with simpsons they but it's for a person who's acting strange yeah. in this case it's just like i gotta get away from this video it's so boring it'll kill room. me to to borrow a marge line from a previous episode she was disappointed and terrified <laughs> uh but marge finds some more help with uh with the ranger here excuse me sir i can't find my children have you checked the woods no Hmm. Follow me. We'll take the chairlift. It'll give us an eagle-eye view of the area directly beneath the chairlift. <laughs> well, I won't lie to you, ma'am. Our chances of finding your children are slim to nil. Hi, Mom. There they are! Let me down here. Uh, sorry, there's no way off till we get to the top. And even then, it's sort of tricky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids. We'll meet you at the top. Just be careful. Yeah, I'm actually a little more concerned about us. Um, do you know how to weld? Ha! It really is the perfect escalation of jokes in which the problems of the chairlift really escalate in a perfect way because, number one, it provides no great view that you need. Number two, it, it's impossible to get off of it. Number three, it's actively falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> and it might kill you. So that's a yeah. great, such a great like again, escalation of the humor there. And it was useless in the first place because it would only show them a very small amount of the forest anyway. It was it his it was entirely dangerous and useless for the for him to suggest it. So I, I also just love his statement of like even then it's kind of sort of tricky. <laughs> Meanwhile, Homer and Burns arrive at the cabin way early, and they need to set up that the propane tank is there so it can become the rocket house. But the way Burns just says like and with this lever turn, and it just it it's over explanation to the nth degree i think they're really hanging a lantern on it because then he's explaining how the door works yes yeah <laughs> and then homer's really delighted and he's like uh no window no going in the window for us <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Homer expected he'd have to smash through the window otherwise he's acting as if the the idea of a door is as clever as the idea of heating a cabin <laughs> <laughs> we come back to bart with smithers and lisa and 
It was the first time I caught that it's kind of almost a family circus style gag, but you see the straight line of steps oh, that Smithers yeah. took, and then the line of steps that Bart is taking going from tree to tree. And by the way, the outdoor scenes in this are just gorgeous, mm-hmm. especially that that uh, last shot in the first act of everyone leaving and splitting up and that big scene of just the, the wilderness. It's very pretty. Well, and all these like naturalistic designs, they don't just come out of nowhere. Like Mark Kirkland and his team had to work really hard to draw a bunch of new areas they go to. You don't, you think like, ah, the the elves draw it. It just gets taken care of. But when you go to new places in animation, it's really difficult. It's you're asking, they can't just reuse the same places they've always gone to. These are all new cabins. (laughs) And uh, when they arrive too, Burns, Burns and Homer start like, immediately bonding i just this uh, this bonding scene between them is so cute to me more champagne <laughs> you know mr burns you're the richest guy i know way richer than lenny no huh. oh, yes but i'd trade it all for a little more oh <laughs> these here are comfortable chairs oh yes sitting the great leveler from the mightiest pharaoh to the lowliest peasant who doesn't enjoy a good sit Oh, man, you are so right. Did you ever sit like this? Yes, yes, that's it. Oh, I could go for one of those right now. Ah. So despite them coming from uh, very different walks of life, sitting is the great equalizer. It's what they have in common. That's basically the only thing. Well, and then Homer dispenses some, like, proletarian wisdom because he knows how once you've, like, sledged down, how to get the bowl over just by, like, aggressively kicking the table and then burns is like you know sir i am in your debt i mean yeah mr burns is used to having smithers or like a servant get him whatever he needs but homer has to rely on himself so he's developed all of these life hacks i also love that burns immediately feeds into it with uh, when homer says see that bowl of dip over there i i have to get it like why you'd have to get up it feels almost like an infomercial (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) uh i i also wonder though too like uh schwarzwalder is famously anti-environmentalist too so i wonder if these all these gags about lisa with trying to help hurt shrews and caring about animals is it's him going like "Ah, why should you even care about any of these things nature's stupid lisa is extra annoying in this episode i didn't get it as a joke at first but that homer's smashing on the coffee table for all the things that cause avalanches that does not it's only when they tink the glasses <laughs> together is what happens and then when the avalanche happens all the food seems to have like disappeared from the table i guess maybe they ate it all <laughs> <laughs> in between shots homer just eats all of it and it's all gone no they uh uh well and lenny and carl's exchange here is another of my just oh god favors like carl is such a dick to lenny here sir I am in your debt. Use it wisely, my friend. Hey, did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. (laughs) It's a great reading of I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's great, and I think so. In, in the episode, Mister Plow, we saw God actively changing to weather, yes. changing the weather despite the Simpson, uh, Homer, and Barney. Uh, in this episode, I really feel like the like the fates are conspiring to keep Burns and Homer enemies. So the first major avalanche happens when they clink glasses. The second happens when they give high fives. So wow. I feel like any sort of any sort of friendship between Burns and Homer is frowned upon by the fates. It, can, <laughs> it cannot happen in this universe. 
I buy that. Uh, right after that is when we get the bit that Luke was talking about the the opening of the door twice, and I'm like, ooh, but maybe. Yeah. Like, it, it kills a lot of time, but it's really funny. They There's multiple in this that if it wasn't so funny, you would complain that it's like uh, filler just to kill 30 seconds by repeating a joke twice, but it's so, it's so great that Homer thinks, if I open this door a second time, snow won't come out. And then Burns tries to telegraph, and I, I sort of just got this for the first time, where it's it's a funny reveal where you follow the telegraph line, it shows that it's actually in a museum and no one can respond to it. It's like, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> and then it cuts to uh, Samuel Morse, who is a mannequin, and he gets a scary sting, too. It's like, that's not even a person, it's a mannequin, where it's like, well, yeah, it's a museum, but I like how he gets the same amount of dra- drama yeah. that reveals. I like, oh. I like when you look around him, like, in the museum, there's, like, a dinosaur skeleton, and I'm pretty sure there's, like, a mummy or something too and it's like what the hell kind of exhibit is this? It's a real grab bag of history, but I do like the crappy mannequin. The beard is falling off and there are cobwebs on it. Nobody cares about Samuel Morse. I, I also really like that like it, it's such a it's such a good character point with Mr. Burns, the fact that he just knows how to work a telegraph machine. Like he has this old world competence. Yeah, you're right. Like, he, he, he he may have to like you know, write himself physically by firing a gun at the ground, but he just like knows how to send a message using Morse code. I mean, in Homer the Smithers, he had to learn how to use the telephone, so yeah. he's mostly used to the telegraph. Yeah, he only would know. I mean, he has a real stock ticker as well in his closet, so he's used to. He's very technologically advanced for like 1921, but other than that, he's he's just kind of lost on him. I don't know if you have the clip of uh, Lenny and Carl arriving at the cabin area. No, I do. Oh, yes. Okay, uh, but first they they try to get out and i love we were just whining about management just a bit ago but this is this is a great play oh, on sorry. how useless managers are simpson i had a confession i'm not quite the tunnel digger i made myself out to be you can supervise me all right good let's dig that's right dig some more oh we make quite a duo burns and associate no no what am i thinking burns and teammate We made it, old friend. We sure did. Huzzah! It's a good, like, little slapsticky act break. I love his dough causes another avalanche. Yeah. Uh, but the Lenny and Carl thing I was thinking of was, uh, it must be one of those metaphorical things. Oh, yeah. Like, yes, a metaphor. Yeah. But then, no, there'd be sandwiches. The sandwiches aren't a metaphor. <laughs> when they come back, they kill a lot of time of just accidentally causing avalanches over and over. This is what I was really re-examining during this viewing, because upon watching this before, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's funny. The, the scene is very funny because the avalanches won't stop. But if you look at what any other sitcom would do, in a sitcom premise, it'd be like, there would be one avalanche avalanche it'd be like we're snowed in one avalanche happens in the episode and the characters have to find a way out or survive together in this one there are like 17 avalanches it's It's so it's so crazy and i never thought about that uh that take on the reality of an avalanche like there's not that many avalanches ever but in this Mm -hmm. episode there are like Almost uh, like over a dozen, which no one even notices until they look at a seismometer later. Yeah. Oh yes, I also love this exchange as avalanches are being caused. Shh. You're causing more avalanches. I think they. 
stopped. Let's go. Oh, those last three avalanches were your fault, <laughs> Simpson. So what? So buttons. Ooh, Burns getting snippy. The uh, and it puts out their fires, so you know that they're freezing as well. And that's when he says to entertain himself, and he picks up a Bazooka Joe comic. I also like he points out that Bazooka Joe uh, hasn't changed a joke in 75 years. Yeah, even Mr. Burns thinks Bazooka Joe has bad humor. <laughs> He's heard that one before. They arrive at the cabin for the ranger squad and then burning the moose head is also so funny (laughs) they're all just freezing even with a fire just to let you know how cold it is i also do love when burns is like i'll manage you burns and associate as he does nothing and just tells homer to dig on his behalf so homer and burns lose it so quickly they bring this up on the commentary but within three hours they have cabin fever and are trying to kill each other (laughs) yeah it doesn't take long does it now, I mean, you could say that they're, they, I guess, are always on edge and are ready to destroy each other. And they're such opposites in terms of who they are that I think the cabin fever would only accelerate. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe someone laced the moderately prized champagne. <laughs> Ooh, or it's gone bad and it's, it's getting to them. Um, I, I, I like that reading. Bad sandwiches, too. <laughs> <sighs> 206 bones, 50 miles of small intestine, full pouting lips. Where this fellow is less a snowman than a god. Well, we've managed to stave off cabin fever for a few hours. I, uh, I think we should dress the snowman. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Look at them. Smug and secure in their finery. <laughs> mocking us. Uh, they're just snowmen, Mr. Burns. Ah, uh, snowmen have peepers. Peepers to watch. <laughs> To watch for a moment of weakness, and then bath comes the knock on the head, and we're down. What do we do? Oh, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> uh, can that be a line of the show? That yeah, whole, that's my favorite whole... scene in the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. all right. I'm gonna play the... to watch. <laughs> Here's the jingle. That's the joke. Oh, it's so good. Yes, I I love how how quickly he goes insane. Where it's like, okay, yes, we built the snowman. Beat. I think we should dress the snowman. <laughs> it's like, what do we do now? We've already done the thing that the only thing we can do. They can't build more snowmen. So and, they instead, yeah. when they're already freezing, they're like, well, let's just strip to our underwear. And Burns is like, these snowmen think they're better than us with their clothing. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and also, yeah, all of that, like, wouldn't you like to know? Oh, wouldn't you like to know? Then Bath comes a knock on the head. And then they also both are drawn with like the bags under their eyes. And yeah. they kind of have like the they're disheveled, the, the, the half flitted look of like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I definitely get some shining vibes off of the way they go uh nuts in this as well it's even better that they put a mustache comb on the on the snowman too yeah. that's extra cute. I, I, I don't really get why like when they sort of call their respective like imaginary armies mr burns is kind of like his his army is sort of like a bunch of like world war one like german soldiers <laughs> like as snowmen with with like comb mustaches and then homer's just like i have powers political powers and then it's like Gandhi and Abe Lincoln and stuff. <laughs> it's all of the political people that Homer would know. All the ones he would think and of. Like, well, I believe a pharaoh is there, too. Yeah, I, I really like Burns' army because it's what Homer imagines his old-timey army would be. And then what I just see that Homer's political powers are the ones Burns imagines, too, which is why in, in that group is Mao. This is the first yeah. time I caught that Mao has a hammer and sickle oh, in you're his right. hands. That's great. That's his weapons. 
That's pretty. Uh, that Abraham Lincoln would team up with Mao and uh, it's showtime. <laughs> That's so great. Burns is afraid that his like workforce is gonna is gonna do a revolution against him. <laughs> I mean, Burns has certainly employed the Pinkertons to murder unions at some point. When we go back to the ranger station, what I really love is in the wide shot of Marge and the ranger arriving, you can actually see Ranger McFadden behind the drunk. So it's it's they set that line up i i I don't know i uh he gets two lines in this episode for some reason as we go deeper into the show and as i get more insane uh from doing this for so long uh i I kind of fall in love with characters that only have two lines of dialogue and and i'm a big ranger mcfadden fan uh right here sorry behind the drum Uh, let's hear (laughs) hey what is going on here who are you people this is a lookout post where is ranger mcfadden i was just Happy to see so many nice people. Quiet, you drunk. Where is Ranger McFadden? Right here, sir, right behind the drunk. (laughs) Wait a minute. If this is a ranger station, we must be in the wrong place. Well, the only other cabin is right over there. Huh. Look at all these avalanches. Do you think they could have buried the cabin? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one thing. They didn't come here for the Mountain Music Festival. March 14th to 18th. Both sides of that exchange are hilarious. Yes. So you think all of those avalanches could have buried the cabin? <laughs> and then this guy taking a moment uh, to be both dramatic and promotional. Yes, yeah. Which, well, I'll tell you one thing. This aired in early February, so the March dates fit with the uh, the timeline of the air date. I Still like time to too. buy tickets in 1997. I went to a mountain music festival or the equivalent of it. Uh, speaking of like childhood things that you realize are much worse than as you get older... I went to one of those uh, when I lived in northern Georgia. We lived in a suburb of Atlanta called Marietta, and then we went up to Stone Mountain. And uh, as I would later find out, Stone Mountain is a favorite haunt of the KKK. And, uh, so lots of chat about the War of Northern Aggression. Um, well, <laughs> I had first thought of like, oh, that's an interesting monument on the side of this mountain, and it is all of the generals of the Confederacy put into the side of the mountain, and it's actually incredibly controversial, partially paid for by the the clan hmm. and it's just people say i many people in georgia are now trying to say like d- blow that up and make it a monument to martin luther king we got to get rid of this shit i don't think they burn the crosses on the top of the stone mountain any longer but uh, they, it was a regular it was it ended more recently than you would think wow <laughs> but i have no mountain music festival stories i'm sorry <laughs> yeah same I got to see a cool laser light show there, though. I will say that about Stone Mountain. So lasers and racism (laughs) together, together. (laughs) They start losing their minds and we get to see them both summon their armies to fight each other. I also love the line Homer saying he's trying to hypnotize me and not in a fun Las Vegas-y way. (laughs) But when they fight each other, it's there's not any funny lines there. It's just like violent and scary that Burns fully intends to murder Homer Simpson. If he had hit him once, he would have killed him he's summoning a lot of strength that's very sit, situational that's sitting, yeah, sorry. that's sitting really paid off yeah that's <laughs> true and the i also i forgot to mention it at the start of this act when homer and burns start arguing you can see right in the center of the screen but in the background is the propane tank uh, they are setting it up very heavily there for the rocket car i wonder if the chekhov's fire poker is hanging out in the background too <laughs> Burns almost hits Homer, but hits the propane tank instead, and that turns the house into the rocket house. And as it's flying through the air, it's it's just on top of all this other cool stuff in this episode, they have to draw a house flying via a rocket. Down a complicated mountain. Yes, yeah. Uh, and we cut back to 
Bart Bart is a little too trusting of authority here, I would say. Okay, search party. Before we set out, let's take a moment to humor the children. Mm-hmm. Kids, your father's going to be just fine. Okay, everybody, put on your corpse handling gloves. We've got two frozen bodies buried somewhere in this mountain. Huh. Did you hear that, Lise? Dad's going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. Look, what's that? Oh well, Lord, protect this rocket house and all who dwell within the rocket house. It's them, all right. We're over here, homie! Oh, something's wrong with its brakes, guys! <laughs> <laughs> this struck me as very Schwarzwaldery in that uh, no one has ever seen a rocket cabin before. Yeah. But the characters are acting as if, well, A, Lenny thinks it has brakes and or could possibly stop of its own free will or the driver's Mar- free will thinks they can steer it yeah yeah like yeah. over here homie no one's like what the fuck is happening like this- why is this house moving this is this should not be happening they're like oh right here guys park it over here you can see that the rocket house kind of turns slightly to not run into everybody which shouldn't happen it's not controlled by anything but it it just runs out of of gas just at the right point and they drew a very matt graining squirrel that just gets smashed yeah. by the rocket house i hope lisa and smithers heal that squirrel <laughs> later <laughs> it happened right off screen but the uh when they arrive it's a happy ending march kids have you people forgotten a little competition last one in the cabin is fired you're fired lenny Nuts. <laughs> so, how did we do? It's a new record, sir. Outstanding. Well, perhaps all of this has been worthwhile. Did you all learn about teamwork? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. In that case, no one will be fired after all. That old goat can't fire me. I'm gonna give him a piece of my muffin. <laughs> so in the history of the show, uh, Lenny has fallen down two giant holes, sort of caused by Mr. Burns. The last one was in Burns' air, where uh, Burns wanted Lenny to explain why he's a good worker without using the letter E, or why he shouldn't be fired without yeah. using the letter E. I'm a good work guy? But I didn't say E. <laughs> that was, Twice in a row, he gets fired by Burns and then falls to presumably his death. Mm. <laughs> I like it as a running gag. It's, it's before the Lenny getting stuff in his eye running gag. Uh, I Yeah, I prefer that to the getting stuff in his eye thing. The eye injury, it's like, oh boy, ugh, ouch. It, it's too... I know that's the point of it, but... Uh, and uh, that I think that probably was the uh, the original ending, but this this added on ending here, it's... It, I, I like any playoff of everyone that laughs at the end of a sitcom and so this is a nice satire of that i'd say well simpson i must say once you've been through something like that with the person you never want to see that person again you said it you weirdo It's a great little ending. I I mean, either one is fine by me, but I like the little tag at the end. Mm -hmm. You know what I like about this episode is that if uh, if this was like a season one or two episode, there would be like the the ending would have some like uh, like moral or something like there actually would be like a lesson about team building. And then they'd all come at the you know together at the end and share it. 
But in this one, there's only just like an ironic deconstruction of that kind of ending. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like an anti-sitcom in that uh, no one learns a lesson and teamwork made everyone miserable and Burns and Homer only grew further apart by experiencing <laughs> trauma together. And that they didn't even find their way to the cabin correctly because the cabin comes to them, so they <laughs> fail true. at their teamwork. That is very true. Yeah, you know, in a previous in a season two episode, it would have ended with like the classic like thirty seconds of heartwarmingness, and, and this this completely throws that out the the rocket car, yeah, rocket house. It would be like Marge and Homer in bed together going over the events. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> In this one, they're just like, no, uh, no one's happy. It, mm-hmm. it, people realize they would have murdered each other, and they might still do it. They might still hate each other and want to kill each other. It is true. So, Luke Savage, you're our special guest. Can you tell us your final thoughts on Mountain of Madness? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I really liked it. You know, I think from what I what I gathered, like reading uh, reviews of it online and stuff, it, it seems like opinions are pretty divided on it. Like I on um, the Simpsons Archive website, there are reviews that give it like an A plus, an A, an A minus. And there's a few that give it like a D or a C plus even, which is kind of baffling to me because, wow. you know, it's not, it's not the best Simpsons episode ever. But I watched it twice in the past week. And I don't know, like there's something funny every few seconds like there's so much there's so much to laugh at and there's so many different kinds of gags so uh i would definitely not give it a a c or a d yeah i totally agree with you this actually reminds me of another kind of secret favorite of mine where i don't realize it's a favorite until i watch it again the pta disbands and that (laughs) there's no real high concept through line there's nothing especially like mega clever but it's a bunch of really really great rapid fire gags in one setting and I really, really love this episode. It's so good. And again, the new setting is just fun to see them in new clothes and new elements outside of the home. Uh, it's just a fun little trip for the viewer to take, too. I love all the National Park jokes and just that they get they get as much out of the mountainy setting as they can. I think, you know, there have been more, I guess, tightly plotted episodes of the show. But I, I like where this goes. And when you compare it kind of to the Sherry Bobbins episode that's next... I think this has a little more thought put into the gags and the density of jokes. It still has the same effort you see put into jokes as well. And so many great jokes on boring things, too. Yeah, I think there's more thought put into the connective tissue between jokes, too. But, uh, Luke, can you tell us all about Michael and us, where to find it, how to support you? And again, Henry and I are huge fans of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, that's awesome. It's We just recorded in my uh, apartment, usually, and it's always so so amazing to hear that people actually listen to it. I, I guess the numbers tell us that but um, you know most of our fans I think are down in the United States so we rarely actually get to uh, talk to them so cheers for that uh, people can listen on SoundCloud or uh, I, I listen to it when I kind of listen back to the episodes as I some as I sometimes do for some reason uh, <laughs> on the uh, iPhone podcast app but we have a patreon as well so if you like the regular episodes you can subscribe on uh, SoundCloud and then we have little teasers that will link you to the uh, the patreon episodes for the uh, low low price of five dollars a month you know we hope you like this podcast you'll uh, give ours a listen I gotta say I was so happy when you guys got a patreon because i get very frustrated when i enjoy a podcast and they don't have a way for me to give them money i'm just like let me give you money (laughs) (laughs) no i uh and your exclusives have been so good the uh at the time of this recording the recent one you did with uh nate robinson was just so good this documentary made 
to celebrate the Obama administration, and instead you talk about like the the disappointment of the Obama administration that then led to the handoff to the most monstrous human being possible to be president. Yeah, that one was fun because, you know, the documentary is called Obama the Final Year, and so you assume it's going to be about Obama, which, like, I mean, you know, they're not, not the most exciting thing, but, like, mostly what it's about is actually these, like, unelected Obama, you know, staffers, people like Ben Rhodes and Samantha Powers, and it's just them kind of, like, going around the world, drinking lots of coffee and, like, working very, very hard and, and kind of, I don't know, speaking very loftily about things without actually, you know, doing very much. Yeah, that was fun. I wouldn't recommend watching the film unless you want a snooze fest, but uh, people <laughs> should definitely subscribe to Patreon and uh, give a listen. Awesome. So, again, that's Michael and us. Thank you so much, Luke, for being on the show. And- yeah, this was fun, guys. So yeah, thanks again to Luke Savage for being on the show. I think he was a great guest. But as for us, this entire network is supported by a Patreon. If you, if you go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons for $5 a month, you can get things like exclusive series. You'll get every episode of this podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free. And uh, also interviews and monthly community podcasts and season wrap-ups and deleted scene specials and so much going on there. If you sign up for $5 right now and you've never been on Patreon or never been a, a member of our Patreon, you'll have dozens and dozens and dozens of things that you've never heard before uh, available to you. We've been doing this for over a year now. We've done so many things, so many limited series. And if you sign up, you'll get a nice little code. You drop that code into whatever you use to listen to podcasts. You can integrate our bonus podcast into your podcasting lifestyle. Henry, would you mind telling the listeners at home, what are two Patreon exclusives that they can listen to if they sign up right now, like two most recent really cool things we've done? Uh, Well, I talked to that Mike Reese interview quite a lot. That was a really cool one. We had been wanting to get him for so long. He is one of the longest employed people on The Simpsons, and he gave us so much insight into the show, including he explains to us the story of the caramel on the ceiling at long last. And we shocked him with our knowledge of that. (laughs) And uh, also Dan McGrath, who is a uh, lesser known but no less important person who worked on The Simpsons. He worked on seasons four, five, and six, as well as on Saturday Night Live in the 90s, Mission Hill, King of the Hill, and Gravity Falls. He tells us so many things that he has not talked about before. on no Simpson commentaries, so we had lots of new information from our good buddy Dan McGrath. So check those out, and maybe when you're listening to this, we'll have also put out some other interviews that we're working on behind the scenes right now. Some really cool stuff is coming, and it's always going to be on the Patreon for you patrons. One more thing about Dan McGrath, I want to point out how nice he was in oh, that yes. he actually uh, phoned Henry after our interview to give him another anecdote. He did. So he he's like, "I've got more for you guys." So boy, what a great interviewee! So yes, go to Patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons to help us live. If you can't afford five bucks a month, even a buck a month would be great as a way of saying, hey, thanks guys for the podcast. We would appreciate it. As for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. I have another podcast. It is called Retronauts. That is a classic gaming podcast. You can find that at Retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast device or app. It's a classic gaming podcast. It's been going on since 2006. I recommend you find a topic that interests you and download the corresponding episode and then subscribe if you like. There's also a Patreon for Retronauts 2 if you want to check that out. It's got some bonuses, but I'm here to shill for this Patreon because I make the most <laughs> money off of it. Uh, Henry, how about you? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter, H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. That's where I tweet about things that happen in the world of The Simpsons and when we post new stuff on the Patreon and on our sister show, What a Cartoon, where we go through a different cartoon each week. And also, if you like the political talk, and then you'll get more than you bargained for <laughs> when you listen to when you start following me 
on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for Simpson Califragilistic Expialidocious. See you then. no cabin. Maybe it's one of them uh, metaphorical things. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, maybe the cabin is the place inside each of us created by our goodwill and teamwork. Oh! Ma, they said to be sandwiches. <laughs>